Hey guys, welcome and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Bonzo. And I'm really excited to have my guest here today because I think this guest is going to put a perspective on the cannabis world that a lot of us have not been paying attention to. Can you imagine, you know, if I were to say to you that, you know, you would lose your job if in fact you got cancer because you underwent chemotherapy or you lose your job if you had an illness that required you to take an opioid. And I'm not talking about an uh, opioid because uh, you lost your job because you were a heavy equipment operator. I'm talking about the fact that um, you go to, to work as an accountant. You go to work as a school teacher. And, you know, we don't question every medication that an individual is on for every job in this country. And now all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, because so many states have been implementing medicinal marijuana programs, adult use marijuana programs, that we have a society now where clearly the people have spoken. I mean, if you look at what happened at the last election, in a, November 3rd, cannabis won across America. We can argue about what's going on with everything else, but cannabis took it down in four states. And most recent polls, we see you know, numbers as high as 81 to 82 percent of people in this country feel that we should make the access to cannabis much more available to those in need. It's the reason why, you know, 81, 82 percent of people in this country believe that medical cannabis should be the law of the day. But then as we do that, we have so many municipalities and so many, you know, individual communities that are trying their best to implement their own prohibition. And they're doing so, I think, in some of the most egregiously offensive ways, especially when it comes to denying employment of someone just because they happen to be a cannabis patient. And there are municipalities all over the country that are starting to do this. There are colleges that are starting to not allow students to go to college to, to participate in educational opportunities because they are cannabis users. And, you know, it's almost as if, if you can't have prohibition one way, you're going to have it any way you possibly can. Now, our guest today is a music teacher who has three kids between her and her partner. She's been a medical cannabis user since 2016 to treat an autoimmune disease, which she was diagnosed with Back in 2011, she has been a card-carrying cannabis user in the state of Florida for multiple years, recognized as a medication that has efficaciousness for her particular illness. And she's here today to share a story about the fact that she was offered a job in another state, the state of Connecticut, and jump through every hoop that she was asked to jump through to let them know that she was a medical cannabis user. And after fully disclosing this, she arrives in Connecticut to assume the job that she was promised. And at the last minute, after moving her entire family, changing her entire life, 
closing down her own private business in one state, moving to accept that position in this other state, she was literally terminated for the cannabis use that she told them about. And this is, to me, one of the most egregiously offensive parts of this entire discussion in this country today. And folks, you got to understand that though she may be one anecdotal story, this is happening all over this country. And this is happening in ways by those who are just angry that they can't control what you do individually. Take a look at what's going on right now in South Dakota. You know, November 3rd, the constituency in South Dakota voted 53% that they wanted to have a medical marijuana program. But the prohibitionists in that state have now sued and they want to overturn the will of the people. Something that a lot of you don't know is that consistently for the last five years until 2019, we have seen numbers across the number as high as 600,000 arrests for minor marijuana possession violations in states that have legal marijuana programs. It's almost like those diehards who are haters are going to do everything they can to hate as far as they can, even if it costs people their livelihood, even if it costs people their jobs. So, I got to say, really, thank you so much, Abigail, for being a part of our show today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you giving me an opportunity um, to share this story because I've been silent about it for the last two years. And uh, and I I know that there's other people out there just like me and maybe didn't take the steps I did, but um, are scared to to share their story. So it's an honor to be able to to be able to open this up for a discussion and hopefully it will help somebody else as well. That's going through this right now. And you know, you may be a precedent setter and I hope you are. I hope your case sets precedent around the country to make people stop and say, shut up, stop it. I mean, you know, it's just like, you know, what's going on right now with lawsuits being filed to overturn the will of the people, you know, by 7 million votes, people voted in president elect Biden. Stop it now. I mean, come on. It's, it's time to, end the argument and move on and move forward. And, you know, you use medical marijuana to treat an autoimmune condition. And why don't you tell us about that first, because let's back up. When were you first diagnosed with your condition and, and what were your treatment protocols to begin with and what happened? Sure. So um, going back to 2011 uh, was the birth of my son. And uh, at that time I was having, um, I was having some serious medical conditions. I wasn't sure if it was related. Um, He had, I had an emergency cesarean with him. So I wasn't sure if the the physical discomfort I was experiencing was related to that. Uh, So I went in, I got diagnosed. And uh, as it turned out, um, I suffer suffer from ulcerative colitis, uh, which is a it's a gastric disease and uh, causes extreme amounts of pain, discomfort. Um, I, I think a common misconception is it just affects people and their their frequency and using the restroom, but it, it's so much more than that. It's joint pain, it's discomfort, it's fatigue, it's nausea. Um, so at that time, I went on my doctor's recommendations and I took um, all of the steps that he suggested I take in terms of the medications and the steroids and the anti-inflammatories. And uh, it was, it was so much on my system, uh, hospitalized regularly. 
Um, at one point, the joint pain was so bad, you know, I wasn't even able to pick up my young son at the time because it was just excruciating. Um, and so... And, and, and forgive me, I'm sorry to because you're up, but you talk about ulcerative colitis. We're talking about ulcers forming in your intestinal tract that can require surgery, correct? Again, because you, you said, and I, I don't mean to jump in there, and I'm not an expert on the disease at all, believe me, but but I know that there are people who do think, oh, that's just, you know, person has to go to the bathroom when they drink milk or when they do this. And that's not what this is. We're talking about a disorder that can be deadly in very few cases, but can be deadly. Absolutely. And and it's a chronic condition. So unfortunately, if it's not deadly, I mean, you, you live with this your entire life. Uh, in terms of surgery, there are people who have been very successful. Usually it's multiple surgeries involved for treating this. Um, so I went through the gamut of the medications that were requested, and then nothing really seemed to work that well. I still had multiple hospital stays, trips to the ER, um, you know, and at this point, they started uh, providing all sorts of medication in terms of, you know, narcotic medication, and I was taking steroids and all these things. So, um, you know, I I was getting by. I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't work. I had to step down from my teaching position because of, you know, the, just the inconsistency with my health. Um, I ended up getting put on biologic medication, which are um, infusions I would go to the hospital for every six weeks um, or a cancer center for, because in fact, they're like very low dose chemotherapy infusions. Um, and that worked for, for a few years. And uh, I, I couldn't take all of the oral medications anymore. So I, I met a, a naturopath doctor. I spoke to um, an endocrinologist that talked about, you know, how it's attached to your brain and your whole digestive tract and what, what are some ways. And, and that's when I got introduced to um, another doctor and medical cannabis. And uh, honestly, took about a year or so to get back to feeling more like me. Um, but the irony in this story is it is exactly what I feel confident got me back to being able to get into the classroom again, um, back to being able to, you know, be the mother that I wanted to be and be able to go, you know, to social gatherings and, and things that I wanted to do that I was missing out of, frankly, in my life. Um, so, um, yeah, that, I mean, it's been it's been a challenge. It's uh, I have not had you know I have not had any of the medical experiences, knock on wood, that I had um, prior to starting uh, medical cannabis. I do still have to take um, additional medication to treat it, um, but I've stopped all other oral medications I was taking, um, and just I take one uh, uh, bi bi monthly, excuse me, shot. So it comes um, and I take it, and that's the extent of it. That's the end of my list. And, and professionally, what what is your job? What do you do? You're a teacher, music. I'm, I'm, yeah, excuse me. I'm a certified, uh, yeah, music educator. I've been uh, certified in the state of Connecticut um, since 2007. Um, and I actually, I went to college in Connecticut. I, I lived there all my life. Um, <clears throat> at the time of this incident, I, I had been living down in Florida um, for some family reasons. And I was teaching down there as well. And uh, I had multiple, this is where I met these other doctors. So prior to meeting them, I was, um, I had to step down from my job teaching in a private school. Um, and when I started to get back on my feet is when I opened up my own uh, private music studio. And I was, I was very successful with that. Um, I was a card holder at that time. So I didn't have to answer to another employer about, you know, my usage as I, I don't believe any, sh anybody should have to answer. Um, 
And then I, and upon coming back to Connecticut with my family, we took a vacation. I saw that there were several districts hiring at that time. I thought it would be a great opportunity, seeing as how I was already certified in the state where I grew up to come home, raise my family and, uh, and start working in a district that I was familiar with and had worked in in the past, honestly. I mean, I want to talk to a little bit more about your professional, you know, history and you know, your, your bona fides is, is incredible. I mean, you've performed with the Danbury Brass Band, the uh, all new intercollegiate bands. You've performed, um, you have a CMEA, which is a Connecticut Music Educators Association. I guess you're part of that trade organization, National Association of Music Educators. You have been a private teacher and a public teacher for 20 years, right? And, you know, um, you got certified in Connecticut uh, in 2000, what, 2007? And again, this is not, I, I, I want to want to make sure people understand. So you were professionally employed, working, employed, doing everything you wanted to do. You went on that vacation. You saw there were job openings. You said, I'm going to apply and go back home, right? Yes, ma'am. And the school district that accepted your application and said, yeah, we like you. I mean, you take a look at your bona fides. Of course, we want you to be part of our team. And um, you reached out to them before you actually made your transition from Florida to Connecticut and said, oh, by the way, I'm a card-carrying member of the medical marijuana program here in Florida. I intend to do the same thing in Connecticut, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and really, you know, I had flown up individually to sign the paperwork, to go through the health examination, to be fit for duty, um, you know, because they required all of that from my doctor as well. Um, I, I did disclose my illness at the time because it was necessary in HR to determine what what uh, insurance benefits would be appropriate for me. And that was at the time that they uh, informed me that I would be tested. And I informed then, having never provided a card before, I said, I do carry this medical card. And uh, the person I spoke to in HR said, well, just present it when you go and get your test. So when I went and got tested, I presented the card. I said, um, you know, it's going to be positive for marijuana. I have a medical card here. It was out of the state of Florida at that time, as I was not a resident um, in Connecticut. And uh, it was active. You know, it wasn't expired or anything like that. I took the test. Um, All was well. Uh, naturally, it tested positive for marijuana and nothing else. And uh, a short time later, I got a phone call from HR. I was actually packed up, ready to go into the school, introduce myself to the administration. I was about halfway there and they called me up. They said, you absolutely cannot go into the school. Don't enter the school. You need to come downtown and have a meeting. Um, I was I was not certain what it was about. When I got there, they suggested this was based on me testing positive for medical marijuana. And I I assured them that I was aware of that and uh, again presented my card. They took a photocopy of it, I believe, to just add to my file. They stated I could not start my job um, and that they would put me on paid leave as I had already signed a contract for a start date. They put me on paid leave and told me I had two weeks to be covered by consumer protection in the state of Connecticut. So I had to go and get a card. So first I had to go and get my license. I had to get my residency switched. I had to get a proof of address, whatever the case, I found a doctor and I was able to receive the card within the next six days um, after fulfilling my obligations. I wanted to be as expeditious as possible, get it done, do what they asked me to do. Um, and when I called them back, they kept me on leave for another two weeks. So totaling a month. 
Um, I called multiple times trying to figure out the status. I was sitting at home. Yes, I was being paid at that time, but I, I was not employed. I wasn't sure what was happening. I, um, I finally got a call back to come in. I was excited. I said, here we go. Packed up my car again, got my instruments in the car, ready to go teach. And uh, they called me in uh, downtown and terminated me on the spot. Slid across the paper um, and said that I had broken their drug and alcohol policy as an employee of the district, which was interesting because I hadn't yet gotten an opportunity to work through the district. Um, And from that point on, you know, I was devastated. Of course, they had soiled my reputation because of the amount of time it took them to get back to me. Uh, At this point, I had moved my family up. My children were enrolled in school. Um, You know, my partner found work here. Uh, It was just devastating, just devastating, you know, Um, and it has had a lasting impact on my life uh, to this day. Now, I mean, when, when they said we're terminating you for this violation, you said, how can I be in a violation when I told you this before I even came up here? I told you this, and each time you was brought up and you said, do X, Y, Z. What was their answer to that? They had to discuss it with legal. They said this is the first time that they have had this experience, and they had to discuss it with their their uh, their legal staff. And I, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, it was interesting to me that Florida um, approved medical marijuana years after Connecticut. So honestly, I thought I was moving back to a state that had far more uh, progression in terms of certainly medical use um, for people. And, and that was just not the case. Um, so I did tell them on the spot, I, I don't believe you can do this. I, 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 I believe you're in the wrong, but at that point, you know, I wanted to, to leave as civilly as possible. Um, and uh, I took the letter, I, I exited the building. And uh, after, after an afternoon of pulling myself back together, I contacted an attorney. And the attorney said, yes, you have a case here. Yes. Yes, he did. Um, I reached out a few times uh, to several attorneys, and uh, I found one that was first one that was really willing to listen to my story. And uh, he's an employment attorney and said, you absolutely have a case here. Um, So we began that process uh, very slow moving. Um, And unfortunately, it's been, you know, stagnant since COVID. And uh, there's not been much forward progress at all. Um, we did take it and it was heard through the CHRO, which is the campaign uh, for human rights organization in the state of Connecticut. Um, and they did find that there was discrimination in terms of the city um, terminating me based on my illness and the medication I take uh, for my illness. So we were headed into, um, uh, where's the term? Arbitration. Uh, Yeah, shortly after that, yep, we were headed in and we were going to take everybody's um, testimony to that and then it was going to be mediated and uh, that's where they held off right now. So that's all been stagnant since March. And they're using, I guess, COVID as an excuse to keep it stagnant. Well, that's right, you know, and unfortunately it's not been stagnant in my life. You know, I had to carry that uh, legally in the state when you are a public educator, you're all hired through the same online platform. So uh, one of the questions on that platform is, have you ever been terminated or um, removed from a position or had a contract revoked? And I had never been terminated by, by anything prior to this. And uh, I didn't want to be dishonest, just like I didn't want to be dishonest about my medical card. So I was upfront and I put that on. And naturally, that doesn't look good. Um, but I was unemployed at the time. And I think it 
you know, Connecticut is not a large state and it, and it really did tarnish my reputation as an educator uh, throughout the state, the social, social stigma, um, you know, it, it caused me to really want to shy away from sharing my story for the last two years, um, you know, not wanting to stir the waters as an educator until I really, I developed the acceptance of, you know, this works for me. I don't know if it works for everybody else, but this is the same medication that ironically got me in the position to be here and fighting for my employment. Um, it's never been a caliber of my ability to teach the students. It's never been a, um, a, a lack of interest, you know, and, and, it, and I'm still working. Currently, I'm still working in this pandemic with masks on and working remotely at times. And, uh, and I'm committed to my employment. So, um, you know, I, I would like to be highlighted for that as opposed to just, you know, social stigma. Talk a little bit about that because you went from, I guess, is it okay if you talk about who the first municipality was? Yeah. So um, the the region that hired me originally was the city of Waterbury in Connecticut. And uh, I, I had actually worked for them previously. Um, so right after I received my degree and my certificate in the state, I was employed by the city uh, for four or five years. Um, and then I, I ended up leaving that position. And that's around the time I moved, I had some medical conditions, I had my child, and uh, we left on very good terms, you know. Um, and as I was he- dealing with my illness, I had decided to move down to Florida. And that's when that changed. So when I saw the position in Waterbury open up, I said, this is a district I'm extremely familiar with. Um, you know, I had a I had a relationship. I have a previous letter of recommendation from the same school that they hired me to come back for. Uh, no longer is the administrator employed at that school, but she's employed in the district. Um, I I had a conversation with the director of hiring, who was a was a coworker of mine in the past, who could also attest to my work. And, and, you know, while I did apply for the position, they reached out to me once they recognized that it was a person they were familiar with. Um, and I was excited to, to work as hard for the city as I ever did uh, in the past. And uh, unfortunately, those people, those same people were not, were not there uh, to sort of defend my reputation at that time. Um, and I, I think it was based out of fear um, uh, that they would lose their job or that they would support somebody who's lost their job due to Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. So after Waterbury turned down, you then went and applied to other municipalities in Connecticut, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And- so um, I had to take what I could take. It was mid-year at this point when I had lost the position in Waterbury. So I took a long-term uh, sub-position because it's not, you know, not common to find a full-time position opening up in the middle of a calendar school year. Um, and I, I had a great relationship with that school system. 
Fortunately, when it came time to uh, hire for the full-time position, while I did receive a letter of recommendation from the administrator there and everybody else in the building that I, I had asked for one, um, I did not get chosen for that position either. And I can't say with certainty that it was my, the, my medical cannabis use, uh, but this town was right next door to the city of Waterbury. And I, I internally did believe it maybe had something to do with it. Um, Cause again, it wasn't based on the caliber of my work. Um, so then I went around applying, sorry. Working as a sub or a part-time employee for what months? Oh yeah, it was months, and you know, a third of the pay that I would have been receiving with my my contract. And then they turned you down. So then you went to another municipality. That's right. That's right. I actually got turned down from five or six of them, um, all within the state, all with with a, you know a very clean record academically. You know, I highlighted students. I've worked in. Uh, inner city schools. I've worked in rural schools. I've, you know, I had these experiences as a private educator, as a public educator, uh, you know, and I, I imagine there were some great candidates that I was up against. I just don't know if it was really due uh, to the eight, eight, seven or eight positions I was uh, turned down for. Now, the one I am working at currently, this superintendent had called me. Um, this was a uh, it, by word of mouth, he heard my name and he said, I, you know, I'm told you're a music teacher living in my district. I would love to have you come and work with me. And I said, oh, wow, that sounds wonderful. And I kid you not, Montel, the same day I got up to go interview with this superintendent across the front page of the, the biggest local paper around here said, teacher sues over pot. That's the headline. So I went downtown, I grabbed a newspaper and I brought it to my interview and I presented it to the superintendent because, I, you know, I didn't want to go and, and introduce myself and later have this guy go on his lunch break and say, how come you didn't mention this to me? Um, but again, I, you know, I felt like, where's my where's my protection now? I, I am a consumer. I, I should be protected by with my consumer rights. You know, I am a cardholder and. I feel this more obligation to start telling all of these people about something that's extremely personal to me. Um, and I would never professionally ask another human being to disclose that type of information to me. We don't know what people are doing when they get home or before they come into work each day, um, but they feel the need to, to ask me. So now he did accept me for the position. He said, you won't have that problem here. I said, that's fantastic. Um, but I've been reminded about it multiple times, the opportunity that I've been given being a cardholder and what that looks like for the district. I, I was reminded of it just last week. And uh, I mean, okay, so they, do they go to the same level of scrutiny for people who, let's say, have come in and uh, possibly just by diagnosed for cancer and getting ready to go through chemotherapy or a person who's been diagnosed with another you know, illness that where has a lot of pain where they are you know, put on opioids or on some other pain reliever and then they have to disclose that and put that on the front page of a newspaper and say, I'm taking this opioid and I'm teaching school. Is that, is that what they have to do? Yeah. You know, it's never, it's, I've never seen another medication treated the same way. And I, I assure you, they didn't ask me any of the narcotic medication that was ever prescribed to me at that time. Um, it, it's, it's not right. It's not right that people would get the right to, to assume they need to know this about me. Um, you know, I have never given them a reason to, to uh, you know, appear under the influence of anything in my professional career. And it has nothing at all to do with my caliber of an educator or, or keeping the students safe. 
And that's those those are my goals. Safety first and whatever else we learn after that. Well, Abigail Peck, let me take a little break here for a second. I pay some bills and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about what you think and what's going on. I know, again, you said it earlier about the fact that you're in the middle of a lawsuit and litigation against the first town. But it seems to me that you could be in a litigation against the state of Connecticut. And I should say for 100 percent complete disclosure, I was one of the people who was one of the you know, uh, advocates for and lobbyists for changing the Connecticut state law to allow for medical marijuana and testified before one of their Senate subcommittees to ensure that that was done. And I don't believe that at any point in time during those conversations, this is years ago, uh, anybody ever brought up the idea that we would turn a program into something that would be held against those who applied. So I... I, I Come back. We'll take a little break. Thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, and we'll be back right after this. Again, thanks so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Today, our guest is Abigail Peck, who is, you know, a card carrying in both the state of Connecticut and the state of Florida, a card carrying medical marijuana user. Our guest today is a teacher who has three kids between herself and her partner, and she's been using medical marijuana. And cannabis since the 2016 to treat an autoimmune disease, which she was diagnosed with in 2011. After going down the gamut of other medications, she finally found some relief in cannabis, which I should say the particular illness that she has, and I will, I'll let her say it herself, but I know several people who anecdotally have been down this exact same path. I know friends of mine who literally during when I uh, had my brand available in California, who were seeking out my brand because there were several ways, the way that we formulated that brand with particular terpenes seemed to have a really good effect for people who have the illness that Abigail has. So Abigail, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. <clears throat> One of the things that, that strikes me just as, as crazy is, again, you have said it and stated it over and over again, that there has never been a complaint about your professional ability as a teacher. It was never a complaint about your professional ability as a performer yourself. Yet, for some reason, people think that they have a right to get in the conversation between you and your doctor. How does that, that that's something that I've spoken out about quite a bit. That's when I, as I lobby around the country, I, I've been talking about the fact that there is no other medication on this planet that people feel compelled to step up and have put their two cents in, in a conversation between a patient and a doctor. A doctor could say, I'm going to put you on the most virulent chemotherapy radiation treatment there is available to man that will literally burn you from the inside out, make your skin fall off, make your hair fall out, you know, give you jaundice, give you all these other things. Nobody says a peep. They just shut up. Well, I guess that's what they need to have. But when a doctor says, I think that you should use medical cannabis, all of a sudden you have all these pseudo experts who think that they have a right to be in the middle of your conversation. How does that make you feel? Uh, angry, actually. You know, I, I've carried the burden of being subject to the criticism of being uh, a medical card carrier uh, since I've been a medical card carrier. And, you know, it's, it, it fuels me because I, I went about it the legal way. I went about it the right way. I went um, to a state where I knew that uh, when I had my illness, that uh, at that time, I didn't know that I needed medical cannabis, but I moved to a state that I knew had already approved medical marijuana uh, long before I had received my card. 
Um, I had uh, been informed that there had been a dispensary that opened up in the city of Waterbury, which is the same city that had uh, removed me from my position and terminated me on the spot for being a cardholder. I find it very ironic that, you know, this city can accept revenue from this industry, but they can't accept employees. Um, and it, it just, they, they tend to talk out of both sides of their mouths. And it, it's not for the better of the people. Uh, the mayor of the city stated years ago in an article that he wants to put the people of his city out of pain and the, and the consumers of this, he would do anything for to put these people out of pain. And, and I, I can't speak highly enough about this, this dispensary. Um, they've been phenomenal. They're extremely, they're extremely professional, but then to terminate the people that utilize um, this as an outlet for their pain and their, their illness, you know, my illness was debilitating to me at times. I could not sleep. I could not eat. I could not leave my house. I could not function properly. And the medications they were giving me were allowing me to sort of live that type of life, survive basically. Um, but it was not a lifestyle that I was comfortable with. And it, I didn't feel actively involved in my life. I had to step down from my profession and, um, and medical cannabis is what changed that for me. I don't know who needs to hear that, but I know there are a lot of people out there who are uh, afraid of that same, those same repercussive actions. Um, people, I have friends that are in healthcare. I have friends that are in education. I have friends that are in uh, a variety of fields and they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe to get a legal card, which is their legal right from a doctor because they're, they've seen what happened to me and they don't want that same. And they, I mean, I'm trying to get my, my head around this a little bit. Has any of these administrators or any of these people in authority said, well, the reason why we terminated you and the reason why we don't want you is because it goes against federal law? Or uh, have they said to you, uh, the reason why we don't employ you or we don't let people have a card, even though the state authorizes it, because there are federal constraints and we don't want to end up losing federal dollars? Have they said something that makes even that much little bit of, and when I say sense, it doesn't make sense, but something that seems like it's rational chain of thought? Well, they have, Montel. That was their argument uh, through the city of Waterbury that because the public school system receives federal funding, it breaks federal law. Um, so again, it, you know, it doesn't make sense. You know, there are students that are needing this medication as well. There are students with seizure disorders and various other conditions that uh, will probably need to use medical cannabis throughout the day. And are they going to deny them from being in this federal building? I mean, you know, educators are, are held to a standpoint based on their professionalism, based on how they treat their students, hopefully providing that gift of education. Um, and, and what's ironic here is now I'm here to try to educate that it's really nobody's business what somebody takes to deal with their own medical condition. Um, the law is the law, but you can't say one thing and this is approved by the state law and you live in that state, but then because you know, the laws don't, they, they don't match up. And so if people are fighting against it, they're going with the fact that the federal law uh, does not permit the use. You know, being a reluctant advocate, um, in a sense, uh, have you thought about advocating at the national level and trying to, I mean, one of the things that, that I think everybody was so excited about when it comes to both the new president-elect and the vice president-elect is that people seem to think that there's going to be some clear difference made in the draconian laws that have been enforced 
today, but I think people are going to be shocked in the fact that, you know, we have a president-elect who stated six months ago that he still believes that cannabis is a gateway drug. So we're not really making two steps forward as we think we are. And it's going to require people like you coming out and stepping up and having a conversation and sending a letter to this president, to this vice president saying, listen, this is my story. This is what's going on. You have to figure out some way to ease the pain of people like myself, get the patients off the battlefield. Yeah, I've thought long and hard about this, and it, it is time. And I, I was hoping with a new administration, there would be more hope. But, um, you know, I did hear the president-elect make those remarks. And uh, I, I hope if there's enough educated human beings out there that are not afraid to speak up and to, I, I was afraid to, um, you know, but at some point we have to find out that we're out there. Um, because I think because it's on a state-by-state basis, we're not aware that these types of things are happening to people um, across the across the country. And uh, I actually, uh, um, another employee of the city reached out to me about a year ago. Now I've been, I've been going and dealing with this now for over two years. And uh, he was a city employee as well, uh, a firefighter. And uh, he, he was on some type of three strikes policy, but I'm not sh- super familiar with his case other than he did hold a medical card. And at the time he was tested, he tested positive for medical marijuana. And they, they claimed that broke uh, one of the policies that they provided. So there, our stories are very different in terms of that. But my, my understanding was that he was really the only person in the city that this has happened to, or at least that was vocal about it. So his reaching out, you know, felt like less lonely out there, that there was somebody else who had experienced this and that I, I was I was not alone in dealing with it. And now um, I'm so honored to be here because if my sharing this helps somebody else come out and say, you know, this is so unjust. And the fact that it's now lingering, I have no closure on this for two years. I'm I'm still facing the repercussions of it. Uh, my, my professional uh, reputation, I feel, is my work speaks for itself, but has been tarnished enough in terms of my name being in the paper and, and all over the news. Um, but, you know, it's really the behavior of the people that I work with now that needs that needs to change. And that's just a microcosm of this conversation. You know, we, we are not less than as human beings. Uh, I have not done anything illegal. This is not a criminal activity. This is a medication that I take. Um, to, to treat my condition. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I would absolutely be willing to take this to the, to the federal level at this point, I've stayed silent long enough and, and things need to change. And that conversation needs to happen. Um, and, and I'm hoping this is the first step in that direction. Thank you. And tell us again, a little bit more about the status of your lawsuit. I guess they came the city came to you and offered a settlement. Did they not? That's correct. No, they did offer settlement. Um, it, it, they started very low and they never even covered close to what my contract was. So, um, you know, at the very least, I thought, you know, morally, they, I signed a contract. They signed the contract as well. They at least owed me the year's pay that I signed up to, to provide. And uh, in addition, I mean, the moving expenses and all of these things um, and, and, you know, and it was unfortunate because it, I haven't, I haven't had great luck with my attorney since then. He was uh, he was very eager to settle at that time and kind of pushed in that direction. 
And I felt if I do that, you know, this is just going to continue to happen. Now, he assured me it's not my job to fix this for the world, but I don't want to fix it for the world. I want to fix it for me and um, for the injustice to my family and for the, you know, the financial hardship that it's caused us for the stress and how that affected my illness. Um, you know, it does need to change. And, and I felt if I had accepted that settlement, while it was a, a plentiful amount of money, it was not it was not the right thing to do. It was not the right thing to do to sweep this under the rug and then go ahead and treat other people who this is, will happen again. And uh, it, it wasn't an acceptable approach. So um, my hope is that, you know, that people will listen. And, you know, if people want to help to support this as well, that that would be amazing because my, my attorney has seemed to wander off the last six months here. And uh, it's a shame. My, my family and I could use closure with this and, and be able to move forward. The process is looking for a new attorney right now. That's exactly right. I sure am. Is there a website you can throw up right now that people would know to go to to reach out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would love it if you wanted to just reach out to um, my email. That would be fantastic. You can find me at Abby Peck, A-B-B-Y-P-E-C-K, 1980 at gmail.com. Um, and if anybody, you know, would be willing to help, I, I, my family and I would be extremely grateful. And I know we can through here, through Let's Be Blood Montel, we can reach out to some of the legal contacts we know and see if we can throw your name in the mix and see if some of them would step up to the plate. I mean, what do you think is going to happen. And I know that's kind of crystal balling, but what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that the city is going to want to just try their best to settle with you to get you to go away so they can stop talking about it? Or do you think that you're going to now bring a lot more people into the light so that people know that it's not just one person, that's a lot of people? You know, I think by this conversation, I'm hoping the latter, I'm hoping it brings people um, to the surface to say, wow, not just my story, but the, this, this treatment of people is so wrong. You know, it would have been, you know, there are so many people that probably feel the need uh, to not put themselves at risk and they, and they don't do it the legal way. But I feel like we need to know that this, this is done properly and you go through the legal steps and you pay the fees and then you're not covered by your own consumer protection law that you just paid to protect you. And uh, I think that that needs to change. So uh, will that change in terms of the city of Waterbury? I don't know, but I know that I'm not going to go away. And uh, they've, they've stalled this out long enough and it's time to answer for uh, their poor decision-making and um, and it's time to move forward with this now and and accept people for for what they're trying to do and provide, having nothing to do with personally my my medical condition. I never spoke about my medical condition in school. I never talked to colleagues about it. I never presented any of that information, nor do I know what my other colleagues suffer from because it's simply not their business. My business is to go in and to educate these children in a safe manner. And that's exactly what I do. Give that website out one more time, Abby. Yeah, sure. It's my email. It's A-B-B-Y-P-E-C-K-1980 at gmail.com. Um, and uh, again, Monta, I just thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to present this in a positive platform. I, I've been silent about it too long. Well, I thank you so much for being here and being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today. I mean, I'm hoping that all of our viewers and listeners out there will, uh, you know, write in, send us a response, tell us what you think about Abby's story and Abby's plight, because this affects all of us, everyone that's in the medical cannabis space or the regular cannabis space across this country. 
you know, if it happens in Connecticut, it can happen in any one of the other 34 states and the District of Columbia that right now have a medical marijuana law on the books. And so we need to come together. And that's been probably one of the, probably to me, one of the, the saddest things that's going on when it comes to this cannabis industry is that, you know, we do a lot to figure out and try to figure out how to make this a green rush, but we don't do anything to make this an equitable rush. And what we need to start doing is start to think beyond just the dollars and start thinking about the bodies and the people and the human beings and lives that are affected. So I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show today. Make sure you tune in to the next Let's Be Blunt Montel. Make sure you go up on abbypeck1980.com. That's A-B-B-Y-P-E-C-K 1980.com. Send her your views. Send us your views here. Let's be blunt also. Let us know what you think. And we'll try to share them with all. And Abby will try to get you some information about some legal teams that might be able to help you. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.